Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And we actually have a, a number of different subjects that we can uh, approach and kind of crisscross in order to uh, understand what uh, the Kingdom of God is really all about. This idea of a dependence upon a God. This Something higher than yourself. We, you use the word supreme being. And, of course, supreme beings were also referred you know, the emperors were sometimes referred to as supreme beings. The Supreme Court <laughs> is referred to as uh, the supreme judges. Uh, that's why they call them the supremes. Uh, they are supposed to be better at judging than anybody else. Uh, we have in, in ancient history, we have things like high priests. A high priest is a priest higher than all the other priests, but how did he get to be a high priest? Uh, it was in in the case of the Levites, the, they were a servant priesthood who served the tents of the congregation. They call it the tabernacles of the congregation. They They served in the tabernacle, which was this big tent, but also in the tabernacles of the congregation, which means the tents of the congregation, which means really the homes of the congregation. Tents is kind of a metaphor for homes because that's what they lived in at one time. When you refer to a man's tent, I mean, even remember back when they were talking about Isaac and and. Uh, and his mother dying, and he taking a wife, and taking his wife into his mother's tent. And uh, this has to do with into this this uh, realm of family. And so to serve the tents of the congregation was to serve the families of the congregation. And, of course, you could be a part of one family and become a part of another family through a process of adoption. We see adoption over and over again in the Bible. We have all kinds of little rules about, you know, a husband die before he gives birth to his first child. The wife would then marry the brothers of of her husband or a close relative of her husband to give him an heir, the first child born, even though it's actually of this other relative, it would still inherit everything that had belonged to the father, the the husband who died before he could produce a child. We see that same dilemma in uh, the case of Hepzibah in Egypt, whose husband died before she produced a child, and she drew Moses from the river, and he became her child. He, by adoption, he became heir to the throne of Egypt. And so all these kinds of things where you go from one family to the next, uh, and the fact that the kingdom of God is from generation to generation, these all play 
into some sort of God-driven natural law concerning the hierarchy of uh, family and of also in relationship to uh, rulers and uh, servants in different kinds of government. Some governments produce rulers, and those rulers exercise authority one over the other, and they are the higher individual, the supreme, the authoritarian uh, ruler of the people. But you can also have a form of government that is based on service, and that this is be the antithesis of rulers, and they would also have a hierarchy. And we see Jesus making reference to this hierarchy in uh, when he's giving the kingdom to his apostles. He says, you're not to be like the princes, the rulers, the leaders of other nations who exercise authority one over the other. They provide benefits, but they exercise authority one over the other. You're not to be like that if you're going to be a follower of Christ. Now, you might be in another nation, you might be under the authority of another government, but you're not going to look to those rulers, those supremes, those... Uh, those uh, uh, rulers who could exercise authority one over the other, you're not going to look to them for solutions, for salvation. You're going to look to God. And in his government, you look to him, and you depend upon not a ruling class, but a servant class who gets higher in rank because they're better servants, not because they're better rulers. That's that's a huge difference. And Christ is very specific. It's one of the very few times in the Bible where he's giving you specific instructions. You have to do it this way. You cannot be doing it that way. And yet it's completely overlooked by the modern Christian, who is constantly going to rulers for their salvation, for their benefits for, you know, their relief, for their solutions. They're constantly going to the rulers of the world for their solutions and not going to the leaders of the church. And, of course, the reason why is because what's out there, what's out there posing as the church is not what was the early church, and certainly not what was the church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness and the early church both called out, Levites called out, the apostles called out, the hundred and, uh, the 70 called out, the, the 120 in the upper room called out to be the servants of the houses, homes, hearths of the people who gathered in the name and character of Christ, who came to serve, not to be served. That That's the criteria for Christianity. Are you gathering in the character of Christ? In other words, are you gathering to serve others? We had a number of congregations trying to look at what can we do as a congregation to serve others? Uh, you know, so they talked about, you know, food kitchens and, um, you know, going out and helping the poor. Well, have they helped the needy? in their own network of the church, you know, and the other congregations. 
uh, are, you know, one of the amazing things about what we call money today, and of course, you know, most money out there today is not really money, it's something posing as money, it's kind of spam money. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's Federal Reserve notes and digital credits in your bank account uh, that doesn't even have a bill somewhere that's backing it up. It's not like you got, you know, $10,000 in gold deposited at the bank in his vault uh, for safekeeping. You don't have anything. You, uh, The more money you have, the more debt you have because they're all debt notes. Well, that's another whole realm. But the fact is we use it as money. But do we use it uprightly? Do we de- use it righteously? Itself, it is not righteous. But we, do we use it, this unrighteous thing, in a righteous way? I mean, you can't hardly survive in this world today unless you're a really good hunter. <laughs> and without money, without this stuff posing as money. And, of course, Jesus saw the same thing going on not nearly to the degree that we have today at his time. And he says, make for yourselves friends of the unrighteous money. Excuse me, unrighteous mammon. Mammon is not really money. Mammon is entrusted wealth. And, of course, you've entrusted your wealth to the government because you kept looking to the government to solve all your problems. And the government spent all your money, (laughs) every last bit of it, and borrowed against your future and your children's future. So you, because you wanted all these benefits from these men who exercised authority one over the other, you know, public school. Somebody the other day wrote that, that they accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, into their heart as their personal Savior. They wrote that. And I know the person, known him all his life. And I thought, no, you haven't, you know. You've accepted the idea that you've accepted Jesus into your head as uh, your personal Savior. But the reality is you are heavily, heavily dependent upon the gods of this world, you know, for to exercise authority one over the other gods, you know, the the authoritarian gods of this world, the supremes of this world, in order to make things right and fix things and look to... And, and you're not... The fact is most people don't keep half of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's not like they break one here or there. On a daily basis, I don't know anybody who does not break the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like, and, you know, I know cops who say, you know, I can follow anybody five minutes on the highway and they will break a law. I know enough of the laws, and of course there's thousands and thousands of laws, you know, like I was pulled over once because my license plate light was out on an old truck, beater truck that I had. And uh, I said, I didn't even know I had a license plate light. <laughs> I never, I never back there looking, does that light work? I look at the brake lights, hotel lights, signal lights, but, uh, and I got to have somebody else to help me do that. And, but uh the license plate light, I didn't even know that was there. I didn't you know? So, but I didn't get a ticket. But uh, anyway, uh, he was just looking for an excuse to pull me over, and that's the point: is that thousands and thousands of laws, you can find a, a, an excuse to pull somebody over. But Ten Commandments, you don't break the Ten. I bet you most of you break the Ten Commandments, every single one of the Ten Commandments, every single day. I'll bet you. 
uh, I don't, uh, and if maybe you don't do it every single day. I don't, I know that you haven't, that I don't know anybody who hasn't broke every single one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> and people say, well, I didn't ever commit adultery. Well, uh, have you ever lusted after a woman? <laughs> you thought like, wow, you know. <laughs> well, according to Jesus, you, you broke it. <laughs> Just thinking the thought, you broke it. And so the reality is you do break the commandments on a regular basis. Everybody in debt is broken the Sabbath, uh, no matter what, because the Sabbath is about debt. And everybody who's a citizen of the United States is in debt up to their ears. You know, you're born in debt. You've broken the Sabbath before you're taking your first breath. Well, not you personally, but you incur that sin because the sins of the Father are visited upon the sons. And so, therefore, you are cursed by your Father's covetous practices. So it's really bad in this state of society, everywhere in the world today. But there's hope because you can this can all turn around. And uh, you know, actually, somebody sent me something this morning on uh, EFT, and they they mentioned EFT several times in in the, you know it's kind of advertising post, but I know the people who are sending it out, and they're promoting a big uh, gathering of EFT experts, I thought, like, electronic funds transfers. <laughs> I knew it had something to do with health, and I couldn't figure out what it was at first, acronyms. Or, I, we use a lot of acronyms here at the church, but I'm not really good at acronyms or remembering them. Um, I have enough trouble with spelling. I have to spell acronyms, too. <laughs> gets gets into another whole, whole ballpark. But it's emotional... Um, uh, freedom technique, and it's supposed to be a, a tapping technique that helps you relieve uh, emotional blockage and stress. And uh, we could do a whole show on that and explain why that could be useful, but probably not a good thing. And basically, what well, it's it's self salvation, and and there are things you should do, you know, like diet and all these things are probably good to take a look at. But that's all tree of knowledge stuff. It's not tree of life. If you depend upon all these clever techniques or diets or whatever, you're not tapping. You may be avoiding tapping into the tree of life. Because the tree of life will tell you and it will release you and it will overcome these problems. But in order to get near the tree of life, you have to be willing to look at yourself because you get near the tree of life and the light goes on. Uh, in your own heart, and you have to see yourself. You can't hide in the bushes just like Adam and Eve. You can't, you can't hide from the light and flee the light anymore. You have to turn and face the light, and then that means you have to face the truth about yourself. You have to be in love with the truth about yourself. And that's, that's really an essential part of the journey back to the tree of life, back to the garden, back to paradise, under the authority and walking with the authority of God, and getting out of the systems of the world that are bringing you down. Somebody else, uh, we're, we have a spring retreat coming up in uh, May, end of May, 27th, it's out in Missouri. Uh, join the network. It'll give you all the details on that. 
you want to go there and meet other people that are beginning to see some of these things that we talk about the kingdom and are seeking that and uh get on the network and uh and become a part of what they're doing so i thought i'd throw out that little announcement we usually have a spring gathering then we have a fall gathering uh usually out here uh still kind of up in the air but the more interest we have uh, we will have it uh, out here one way or the other but uh uh how big it is that all depends on you i'm not going to motivate you you're going to have to find your own motivation to seek the truth and gather with other people one of the things, uh, you know, somebody sent me in a relationship to that announcement. I saw Julia uh, Gellif, who talks about why you think you're right, even if you're wrong. And uh, she's mo- kind of a motivational speaker, a TED talker. Uh, and uh, and she talks about the soldier mindset and the scout mindset. And this is the way she categorizes these things. And the soldier mindset is to defend a position. Uh you know, kind of hold at all costs. Uh, uh, hold until you're relieved, uh, as the the one command is out. And that soldier, no matter who comes, he's not going to let them get. You know, the the Spartan, you can't come through this pass. Uh, you shall not pass. The soldier attitude, and uh, it it sets you in a certain motivated stance that cannot be disrupted by anything. And your loyalty is to that position, and you defend that position no matter what. And that's where you get the ideas of my country right or wrong. But this scout mindset, he's out trying to get information. He's trying to obtain information, uh, find out what is the truth. And, of course, then you have another uh, mindset who is uh, kind of the saboteur of the truth and he's going to give misinformation out and uh, but the scout wants to find the truth and he's willing to find the truth and he's willing to see the truth he's not looking for things that you know that's one of the big problems is that people believe what they want to believe and she goes into her talk which you can find on TED Talk uh that's Judia Kellis. And if you join the network, ask on the network what which one we're talking about, and somebody will give you an answer and give you a link to that uh, TED Talk. But in it, she talks about this scout mindset uh, that is willing to find the truth at all costs, even at the cost of the present truth, what he thinks is true now. You know, like if he finds out that they're grossly outnumbered, he's going to bring that truth. He's going to accept that truth, and he's going to share that truth because he's out for truth. That's what he's looking for. Now, she divides that in the soldier-scout mindset, but uh, this scout uh, is not loyal to anything but the truth. He wants to know the truth. But we ourselves... We develop loyalties to positions, ideas, uh, countries, governments, groups, uh, and we should not have a loyalty to a country or government or group or to the symbols that represent those countries or groups. Now, we have this 
reverence of the flag in the United States. And that's there, it exists, and there's a truth in that. But really, ultimately, our loyalty should not be to the flag or to the government or to any of these other things or to issues and ideas. Our loyalty should be to what is true. What is truth? And there's a whole debate with uh, Jesus Christ and Pontius Pilate. What is the truth? And, and Romans are often concerned with that idea of what is the truth. And one of the things in order to find out what the truth is, you cannot take pride in what you already have, the truth you already have. You can't. Your identity as an individual should not depend upon what you think is true, because that's the loyalty of the mind. Your loyalty should be to what is truth, what is right, what is righteous. This is one of the things that Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the righteousness of God, which is truth. That, that word righteousness actually can be translated justification. They, they don't do it, but it, the, well, our term justification is much like that of what we see in the Greek as righteous. So our loyalty should be to what is just, right, and fair, to you know what Jesus calls the weightier matters, law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That loyalty to what is, what law? Legal system? No, natural law. And we did a couple shows on natural law. If you go to look at natural law and preparing you, you can hear those shows and read a little bit about what the natural law is. And we even have some videos up there um, from uh, some fairly famous people who talk about the natural law all the time. And... Uh, and you can get a little perspective. But the law of nature is God's law. Law of, uh, Natural law is defined as divine will. That is, the law of nature is the law in which all legal systems are constructed. And we, like, go listen to those shows and find out a little bit more about it. But the idea that you have a loyalty to an idea about what the natural law is disrupts you. It separates you from the tree of life because now you have a loyalty to your knowledge about law, not the law itself. And see, this is what happens with religion. We have a loyalty to our religion, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Jewish, whatever, Sikh, Buddhist, Muslim. People develop a loyalty to their ideas or somebody's ideas about these issues or these concepts or these groups. And this is always at the price of truth. Because there is no group that is entirely true. They love to say, you know, oh, the Koran is written by the Prophet and it's all 100% true. But then they have to come up with Sharia law, which is an interpretation of what they believe is true. And that interpretation varies from person to person. And unfortunately, they kill the people who vary from their interpretation because their loyalty is not to the truth, but to what they believe is truth. It's, it's virtually idolatry. Anytime your loyalty is to an idea, that is idolatry. But anyway, we're going to talk about how you free from that and how you find 
Your righteousness will be returned. We'll be right back. So we've done a couple of shows on strategies of Christ. What was Christ's plan? What was the way? Christianity was called the way. So what way was that? What were they doing that was so different? Why did it get them persecuted? And why did it allow them to overcome not only the persecution that came in their direction, but they overcame the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which was devastating. I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died because of the fall of the Roman Empire. It was uh, devastating to society. I mean, whole, whole villages would wipe, be wiped out. Cities would be wiped out in a matter of days sometimes from disease, from attack, from starvation. It was It was rough, to say the least. This well-oiled machinery, societal machinery of the Roman Empire absolutely disintegrated and fell apart. And it became almost every man for himself. Yet there was a huge period of time where there was a lot of order and prosperity throughout the Dark Ages. People always refer to them as the Dark Ages, but the reality is they weren't that dark. We we mark civilization today by rulers and wars. And because there wasn't a lot of rulers and wars, we refer to it as the Dark Ages because there's nothing to put down in our history book. But what it was was millions of people living at peace all over Europe. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't bad guys around. But there weren't entire invading armies. I always remember an interesting statistic of World War One and World War Two. World War One, three percent of the death toll in World War One was civilians. Civilians were only three percent of the death toll. In World War Two, civilian death toll was sixty seven percent of the people who died were civilians. Uh, that varies a little bit, but even if it varied, you know, it was half those numbers. Something drastically happened in society. And, of course, you know, there was artillery and there was saturated bombing, but there was also rounding up citizens by the tens of thousands, both in the Soviet Union and in in uh, Europe, the, in Germany and in France and a lot of these places, they rounded up citizens. For a variety of reasons, not just because they were Jews, because they were gypsies. Gypsies had no ID. This is one of the biggest things that was coming out of World War II, was that everybody was going to have to identify with one of or more of these nations, these groups. And the gypsies didn't identify with any group. They were gypsies. They were, you know, they were, they considered them separate from all the nations they traveled through. And in many cases still do, but this idea of needing an ID from the state was absolutely essential, and so gypsies were rounded up and exterminated. But also, you know, people with physical disabilities, people who were dissidents, they were also rounded up. And in uh, Russia, you, you, you could be rounded up because of rumor. 
You didn't even have to do it. <laughs> you felt, and eventually that happened in Germany, too, after the one of the attempts on uh, Hitler's life. Uh, people were being arrested for suspicion. We see the same thing in history if you go back to the time of Tiberius. People were being arrested on suspicion and put into jail and sometimes executed. And we see the same thing happening again. So all these, you know, the fact that you have uh, uh, computers and uh, smartphones and DVDs and you can download Netflix and over the Internet and all these things, it does not remove you from the base emotions that bring about Holocaust and destruction and devastation and the death of millions upon millions of people. But that the the forces that bring that about are have been growing and becoming more and more powerful in the world today. And nobody addresses that. Most of the people address what makes them feel good. They're looking for what makes them feel good. What what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel saved, what makes them feel okay. They're not really looking for the truth. They're defending, and you actually hear they're they're happy place. <laughs> they're defending their safe place, and that's that's what's important to them. Very self-centered. Christ was not self-centered. If anything, Christ was not self-centered. He didn't come to save himself. He came to save others. If you aren't gathering for that purpose, you are not gathering in the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Yahweh, or anything else. You can go say those words until the cows come home, and they, they do not save you. You have to actually be gathering in the character of Christ, and then miraculous things. I just heard an interesting statistic. I can't remember if it was 93 or 96 percent, or 96 what is it? 96 million Americans were infected with a cancer-causing virus with the polio vaccine. And CDC has come out and admitted that. And, you know, we've known it for, for decades that there were, and they knew it at the time, to tell you the truth. There were scientists, and, and you can actually, they they videoed him. Uh, they were still alive, and they videoed them testifying that they brought it to the attention of the manufacturers that they didn't, these rhesus monkeys that they were bringing over, they didn't know what else they had, and you would be injecting because you were producing it, the vaccine, uh, with these infected monkeys. And they said, well, other elements, genetic elements, are going to be in this vaccine. And we have no way of, you know, filtering it out without filtering out the very thing that is allowing the vaccine to work. And so they knew that this foreign material would be in there, and they had no idea of what it could do. And one of the things it does is that even though it doesn't make you sick necessarily, you won't necessarily, you know, die of any disease right then, it produces a virus that reproduces in your body, and that virus will attach uh, to a certain protein in your body. I think it's protein 54, P54. And that protein is necessary to make your body safe from cancer. 
it it attaches itself to a cancerous cell and devitalizes that cell and keeps you from getting cancer. But when the monkey virus is causing all the P54 proteins to attach to it, they won't be available to attach to other cancers that develop in the body, and the body will suddenly have, you know, like brain tumors, all kinds of little tiny brain tumors, because there's no... The mechanism has been interfered with by this other virus that was introduced into the body. So you end up with a net gain of zero. You actually, the number of people that would have died from polio uh, it does, is not equivalent to the number of people that are going to die from this cancer. And, you know, I don't, we, it's difficult to project exact statistics on this, but the reality is, is I believe that it was probably a net gain of zero. Because we weren't looking to God for an answer. Because some people came up with an answer during the polio, uh, outbreaks, which almost all at least took place during the summer, that if people reduced their sugar intake, they would be exposed to the polio virus. They would, their own immune system, would overcome the polio virus and they wouldn't end up in an iron lung and they wouldn't be ended up crippled with this deadly disease because their their own immune system would fight it off. Now there'd be some people that would get it and even without the intake of sugar because they know that they decreased the intake of sugar because articles came out at that time and the polio occurrences almost disappeared. But you know, there was an outcry about this, and there's another whole story. We won't go into it. But the point is, is that are you really gaining anything? And you, you, I mentioned the EFT, the emotional uh, freedom technique of tapping. And, and I'm not going to say don't do those things any more than I would say don't, you know, improve your diet or go on a Mediterranean diet or any of those things. You may need to do those things. But you only need to do those things that the Holy Spirit is guiding you. It is the motivator that's guiding you to do those things. And as a personal discipline, but you do not put your salvation in your clever health schemes. Because you, you the Holy Spirit doesn't, isn't dependent upon that. I, I got the polio vaccination, and so did I get those, uh, uh, you know, those monkey viruses in me? You know, I've seen i seen somebody who was given an IV, and they were told that there was no narcotics in the IV. It was just saline solution because they didn't want any drugs. And they said, well, there are no drugs in these. And so they put the IV in, and they never seen anything like it. The IV would not stay in. I actually have seen this twice with two different people. The IV would just constantly pop out. They said they've never seen They taped it on the arm so that it would not come out. You had tape all around the arm so it wouldn't come out, and it kept coming out. It would not go in. It would, I mean, it would go in, but then it would it would come out, and it would actually be, the bandage would be all wet because the saline solution would actually uh, not go into the person. It was like forcing it out. Now, believe it or not, I've actually seen that. Uh, when I got the polio vaccine... My my whole arm erupted, and not the whole arm, but the, where they put the vaccine erupted, and blood poured out. It was dripping all over the floor, 
and every bit of blood that probably had the vaccine, and I couldn't, couldn't prove this, uh, poured out of my arm. And uh, and you know, there was there was girls screaming <laughs> all this blood coming out. Well, it was take it was the body was rejecting the vaccine. You know, I can't say that it happens all the time, but I believe that the Holy Spirit can actually intervene like, like that in ways you can't even imagine. Uh, so anyway, uh, how do you get to the point where you're living by the Holy Spirit? Well, you can't get to the Holy Spirit by eating of the tree of knowledge. So even though there might be a lot of t- techniques that will help you relieve stress and relieve emotional trauma, and maybe those things are important, that is not going to lead you to salvation. As a matter of fact, it can mask your problem so you don't actually address your real problem, which is usually pride, lack of humility, unforgiveness. These are the things that uh, bring about you know, serious, serious uh, spiritual issues, and therefore will telegraph into emotional and physical issues. Almost all your physical problems are related somehow or other to emotional problems. So anyway, and the strategies of Christ will take all this into uh, consideration. It, you know, it, it just... Uh, it will... Beyond your ability to calculate and, and figure, no matter how smart you are, Holy Spirit is smarter. In, in Matthew 5.10, we see, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In order for you to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, you would have to be righteous. <laughs> And righteous is not a formula. Keeping the Ten Commandments doesn't make you righteous. I don't believe that you can really keep the Ten Commandments unless you are righteous, but they've devised a very uh, clever way of allowing you to be unrighteous and yet think you're keeping the Ten Commandments. And one example is, is the Sabbath. People think they're keeping the Sabbath because they keep a certain day and they rest on that day. When the the Ten Commandments on the Sabbath has nothing to do with that day, you know, uh, I am the Lord thy God; that shall not have other gods before me. Well, if you're subject to the Supreme Court, you got your gods. They decide what is good and evil. They decide that men can go into women's bathrooms. They decide that uh, children can have sex changes. They can. They decide that gays can't get married because uh, they are the gods. They they decide. They rule as to what is good and evil. And you've given them that power. And you gave them that power because you wanted the benefits of the rulers that go along, you know, the chief executive officer who goes along with the Supreme Court. You got, you, you've divided your government into three branches in the United States. Now, we can go look at other countries, but let's let's look at the United States, where you have your judicial, those are the guys who decide good and evil, and then you have the executive office, the president, the, the first citizen, the highest citizen, you know, he gets to 
execute orders, and we have plenty of people who will follow out those orders. And then we have the legislative, the, the sovereigns of the nation who make laws. Now, they can't do this on their own because they have to have, well, they can override the president's signature if enough of them agree. But uh, uh, they all work together to decide good and evil for you and decide what is law for you. And they didn't make ten laws. They made, you know, 100,000 laws. And you look to them for benefits, free education, take care of my parents, take care of me, you know, all these things. They are your salvation. They save you. Now, you can say that you're looking to Jesus Christ, but you're actually looking to these guys for the most part. You're going to, when these guys go away and they disappear off the face of the earth, <laughs> then you won't have to look to them and you'll see. Will he have? Will he be depressed? Will he feel bad? Will he? Lost? I don't know. We'll we'll have to judge that when that comes. But the reality is, you are dependent on them. If you're sending your kids to public education, if you're allowing, uh, I mean, you can't disallow because you can't control your parents. But if you haven't made provision for your parents so that they have to take Social Security to survive, you're not keeping the Fourth Commandment. The fourth commandment says, Honor thy father and thy mother. And the word honor there is the same word for fatten. It is the same word for liver. It is the word that has to do with uh, taking care of. It doesn't mean obeying. It means taking care of. Honor thy father and thy mother. So that your days will be long upon the land. So if if your parents have any needs beyond Social Security, you should be supplying them. And you should be working in the unrighteous mammon in order to do that. You should be providing for your parents. Now, maybe your parents want their Social Security. They don't want you providing for them. Well, you can't do anything about it. But that you should be preparing yourself to take care of your parents and willing to do so. Now, if your, your parents happen to be uh, Christians, real Christians, and don't want to take the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other because they know Social Security is bankrupt and the only way they're going to supply them with one dime of funds is to take away, you know, borrow money against the future, which is a violation of the Sabbath, and curse their children and their grandchildren and their neighbor's children because what you do to your neighbor's children, you do to your own. Because as you judge, so shall it be done to you. This is all part of the law of nature. And if you're, if you're parents who won't take that, you're not supporting them. You're not keeping the fourth commandment. Every day you don't support your parents, you're in violation of the fourth commandment. Every day that you force your parents to take Social Security because you don't offer to, you know, they may not want to take it, but you don't offer to take care of them, you break the Sabbath. And every time you look to the government to take care of your parents, you're looking to the government for your salvation because you're supposed to be taking care of your parents. So you're in violation of the First Commandment. <laughs> Shall we go on? <laughs> Steal. Well, take away from somebody. So if somebody uh, did not owe the tax and they were being uh, 
set upon by people who didn't understand the law. And most people do owe the tax. Uh, most of the guys I know say they don't owe the tax. They do. They're just rationalizing because they don't understand why they owe the tax. But say there was somebody who didn't owe the tax and the government still came after them and took from them, then you're part of that stealing. Now, even if it wasn't involved with the stealing, we can go up to 9 and 10, which have to do with covetousness. And if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, well, in other words, desiring those benefits from men who exercise authority one over the other, whatever those benefits are, you're in violation of the Ninth and Tenth Amendment. Adultery, well, you know, people think adultery is only about having relationship outside of marriage. Well, of course, if you lust after anybody, you're having a relationship outside of marriage. You're already violation of that commandment according to Jesus Christ. But what I mean if you lust, lust after pie? <laughs> I mean, where, where does gluttony come into the Ten Commandments? Gluttony is a bad thing. So which commandment are you breaking? You bought the pie. You own the pie. You paid for the pie. You should be able to eat the pie. But if you eat the whole pie <laughs> at once, that sounds like gluttony. You know, especially if it's one of those big Costco pies filled with sugar. That's kind of adulterating your body, isn't it? To eat an entire Costco pie with one city. <laughs> that's, that's adultery, because you're adulterating your body. You're putting something in your body that don't belong there. <laughs> okay, so all these, and thou shalt not kill, well... We can go into that one, too. But the reality is the righteous path is another whole different direction. If you actually are not not the idea of being righteous, but actually doing righteousness, in other words, following the Holy Spirit, eating of the tree of life, and that gets you persecuted, then, I mean, I always remember the story of the a couple of uh, Soviet Union soldiers who were captured by the Mohajidin in uh, Afghanistan or wherever, and they were, you know, the freedom fighters there, and they offered them the chance to convert to Islam. They refused, and so they had their throats slit. They knew that they would die if they did not convert to Islam. They refused, and they killed them by, you know, slitting their throats. Because they had no way of keeping the prisoners, and they weren't going to let them go back. And so, anyway, that's what they decided, right or wrong. That's what they decided. But they were offered the opportunity of converting to Islam and saving their own lives, and they refused because their loyalty was to the Soviet Union. They were patriotic soldiers. They were persecuted because they were faithful to a communist dictatorial regime who was trying to steal access to Afghanistan property so that they could put an oil line all the way to the the uh, Mediterranean. So, or was it the Mediterranean? Would it, I'm not sure where it would come out at. Maybe it was Red Sea or someplace. Anyway, uh, they wanted a pipeline to the sea. And uh, that's why they were there. There was there's not a lot of other reasons why you would want to take, the Soviet Union would want to take Afghanistan. Anyway, the point is, is that they were persecuted 
but not because of righteousness. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's a lot of people, you know, that, that they're maybe a Jew or maybe they're Christian religion or whatever it is, and they think that I'm being persecuted for righteousness because they think it is righteous to be loyal to that idea of that religious belief or whatever. And we talk about what real religion is. Uh, religion, Real religion has to do with rights and duties. And uh, uh, one author was writing about what rights are, and he says that derived its force, rights, right, a right, derives its force from some prior conception of natural moral obligation, duty, or office. That is what a right is, according to them. I, I like to reduce it down to rights are responsibilities. We always think that, well, I have, these are my rights. No, those are your responsibilities. And you have, because you have a responsibility, somebody else cannot interfere with the exercise of that responsibility or they're interfering with your rights. But if you're not doing it, you don't have the right anymore. Anyway, we'll talk about this when we come back in a few minutes. And then we'll get into the strategy of question. The remedy then. Be right back. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. As I said, you shouldn't have loyalty to a country, a government, a group, or its symbols or issues, uh, you know, positions on certain issues or ideas. You should have a loyalty to what is right. And if you have a loyalty to what is right, you will do well by your country, government, group, or, or the issues that come up. Because you're defending what is right, not some group or some ruler or whatever. This is why Jesus says, above all else, stop the taking of oaths. Swear not, not at all, not by heaven, not by earth, not by anything, because that creates a loyalty to a oath, to a group, to a, you know, the symbols of verbiage in the oath. Your loyalty is to what is right, what is true. And that's being a good scout. <laughs> that's being a good Christian. That's being the best citizen. See, according to the teachings of Christ, Christians were probably the best uh, members of society in Rome and in the Roman provinces. They didn't rob, they didn't steal, they didn't cheat, they weren't a burden on the welfare system because they didn't depend upon the welfare system. They took care of one another. Did they pay into the welfare system? Well, in certain posts and duties, yes. And that this comes out in early Christian trials. 
back in North Africa in 200 A.D. But still, Rome outlawed private religion, which is what Christianity was. It was it was a private religion from the point of view of the world because its God was visible. But it was actually a public religion from the point of view of the kingdom of God, which was at hand and appointed to the apostles. Their sacred offerings were considered sacred by Roman law. So there are ministers who gathered together in congregations of ministers, which we could call orders today, and they actually called it something similar back then. Uh, these people were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. They were also helping settle disputes from house to house, from family to family, within the Christian community, which was the kingdom of God at hand for the living. But it doesn't make it the kingdom of God because of a contract with God. It makes it the kingdom of God because you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In other words, we see because you would do that, you would not be breaking the Ten Commandments on a regular basis. You would have certain spiritual flow coming into your life, into your actions that would bless you and protect you. And so that when everybody else is falling around you and dying around you and suffering around you, you seem to keep making it through. And even if you don't make it through, you're willing to follow this way of righteousness, seeking the truth in everything, and coming face to face with your own selfishness in the process. And that process is a process of accepting your responsibilities, and therefore by at the end of such a conflict you would obtain your rights, the natural rights. Natural law is a presumption of the liberty to, to fulfill your responsibilities, your rights, take care of your family, take care of your parents, take care of your children, and do whatever it is necessary to do that. See, if right now there's laws against hoarding, so all these guys stocking up food, stocking up ammunition... It is absolutely within the right of government to come and take that away from you because of the legal contracts that you have with the government. Because you believed when you were going to public school and your parents believed when you were going to public school that it was absolutely okay to take from your neighbor to get what you want, which is free education. It's absolutely okay with you to take from your neighbor because you know, to take care of your parents. And so the, you do no more opt for your parents or little for your parents because you want the state to be responsible for your parents. And therefore, what you're doing is making the word of God to none effect, the word, this logos, this this power of God to none effect. It's not going to work in your life. Now, God will work with you for a while, persevere even with Cain for a while, but not forever. What's happened is that you have locked yourself in a closet of religion, in the apartment of religion. Maybe it's a really nice apartment. <laughs> and your religious ideas have locked you in there. And there's this door that goes to the kingdom of God. And you open the door, but there's another door on the other side. And then if you knock on that door, it will be open unto you. But most of you won't open the first door. You won't look outside your box. We gave that analogy in this, this whole strategy series before. But that's where you're at. 
Because you're not really willing to see the truth. Because, see, when you open that second door, or when that second door is opened unto you, the first thing it's going to do is bring light into your room. Light like you've never seen before. And the first things you're going to see is the dark spots in your own heart. And you don't want to see that, because you're not really seeking the truth about you. You're seeking to be saved, but you don't want... But it's what caused Adam and Eve to be cast out of the garden. The fact that they hid from the light, from the understanding, the truth about themselves. They hid from that. They were ashamed of what they had become, and they didn't want to see that, and they didn't want to be seen by the light of God. And so they fled the light. God put the cherub there with a fiery sword, and they flee the light of that sword. It cuts to the truth about ourselves. So this is the strategy of Christ, is to bring you face to face. And, and you know, whether it's uh, emotional freedom techniques or, or drugs or uh, charismatic religion or whatever it is that distracts you from the truth about yourself, that distracts you so you don't have to see yourself as you really are. It keeps that second door shut. It gives you, you know, the Satan is called the light bearer. He brings a light. It's not the light. It's a light. He's a light bearer. He can appear as an angel of light. Just like all these preachers out there appear to be preachers of Christ. But they're not actually preaching Christ. They're saying you don't have to change, you don't have to you don't have to forgive, you don't have to give, you know, you can keep going to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, you don't have to take care of your parents, so security will do that for you. Uh you know, you're not really killing even though you're supporting a government that's killing all over the world, whatever government you know, all all governments kill one way or the other. Uh all you know, all world governments. Because they're not based, you know, Saul killed. <laughs> Saul forced offerings of the people. Saul, he was a king anointed, but you got the king that you deserve because you got the king that a people who rejected God should have. The fact is, is you get the presidents you deserve. You get the prime ministers you deserve. You get the leaders you deserve. Of course, we're talking in generalities there, but the reality is that if you were to actually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, open up that first door and knock on the second door and be willing to let that light in and shine through you, you would tap in to the tree of life by that choice. There's a song, you know, uh, where they talk about this light of mine uh, that shines. Um, you know, uh, this uh, little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, and, and the Yod in the Hebrew language is the divine spark. That's your little light. That little tapping into the character of Christ who came to serve. So when you gather into a congregation, you really come to serve. It's not a, it's not a, 
some sort of strategy on your part, but you actually come to serve. This was dangerous about telling you about the strategies of God. Then you try to emulate it, but that's tree of knowledge stuff. You do, you you seek the kingdom of God because you love others, you forgive others. It goes on to say every day, every day, every day, every way. Going to let my little light shine. Uh, light that shines is the light of love. Hides the darkness from above shines on me and it shines on you shows you what the power of love can do so this is you know this is that old uh, uh, the seekers lyrics uh, where it sings you know I'm not going to sing it for you you know Monday gave me the gift of love Tuesday peace came from above this the song is actually very kind of enlightened and it was very popular uh, at one time and there's been remakes of it but they changed a lot of the lyrics these are the older lyrics uh, uh, goes on you know Friday told me uh, to watch and pray Saturday told me what to say Sunday gave me the power divine to let my little light shine so this is a way of life they're talking about that you let this light of God in you and that has a certain character of service to others and you let that little light shine through you where you gather together to serve others and it astounds me when congregations gather and they, they think what can we do what project can we do uh, the fact is is this is what back to what I was talking about is the money that you have in circulation represents you're sweating blood, even though it's it's not real money. It's stuff posing as money. It represents your flesh and blood. Because you get it most of the time, unless somebody's just giving it to you. Um, it, it represents your life. You spend time of your life. What are you going to have? 60, 70, 80 years of life, maybe 100 years of life. And how, I don't know how much of that is your working years, but that... Uh, the money you produce represents your life. To take a portion of your life and give it to others is what that service is all about. To sacrifice for others. To give. You know, Jesus was rich and he made himself poor. Uh, he said in order to be one of his disciples, you had to give up all you had. So this idea of sacrifice it puts you in another realm. This is your duty, to perform your duty to God and your fellow man. So, yeah, you could go work in a food kitchen, but you could just give a portion, you know, one day a year. Not one day a year, one day a week. <laughs> uh, or or uh, four days a month. All the money you make on those days, you give it away. Now, you can give it away to anybody you want. You don't have to give it to me. You should form congregations with other people seeking the same system, and you give it to them. And you say, well, they don't really need it. They don't have any money to spend it on. Well, then they give it to some, you know, minister chooses to give it to somebody else. And they give it to somebody else. And they, so it's about giving. It's about changing the direction. Instead of taking from the world the flesh and the devil, I <laughs> see many of you take from the devil as well, the adversary of God, and who's the adversary of God? It's the governments that operate by force. 
Everybody's trying to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. But some people do it by force. John the Baptist did not do it by force. He said you do it by charity. So the reason you gather together is to start a charitable network that gives away. If you give $10 and they give it away to the poorest person in the community, have you done righteously? Maybe the poorest person in the community is a wicked, child-molesting, wife-beating uh, murderer. And that's why he's the poorest person, in, and you give him 10 bucks. What on earth? That's just crazy. No, you want to give to those who are seeking the kingdom of God first. You want to help them out first. And so in order to find out who they are, you have to start networking together and see who is who. And you can't tell by what they say. You have to tell by what they do. Are they giving regularly? You know, one of the most philanthropic, tithing individuals I ever knew of in history was Rockefeller. <laughs> he ended up being one of the richest men in the United States. You know, the old man. Uh, he would tithe and give away to charity huge amounts all the time. Now, I'm not saying that he was a Christian or anything, but that is kind of interesting. <laughs> he also was ruthless in business, but, you know, business is business, as they say. But anyway, are you letting your light shine, this light from above that God gives you, understanding God gives you? Or are you going to be just a total rebel? Oh, and I always asking for money. I'm not asking for money. I'm saying that you have to change the flow. Religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Your fellow man is in need somewhere. Now, you have to help them out. You have to be the good Samaritan. You say, well, I help out people when I see them on the road. No, you have to help out people you don't even see on the road. You have to start giving, you know, Christ did not die on the cross for people, only people he saw. He died on the cross for people he didn't even know and didn't even see. Died on the cross because he was willing to sacrifice himself. He was rich and he made himself poor because he was willing, he had changed the flow. And the more he changed the flow, the more miracles you saw. And other people who the flow was changing in their hearts, they just touched the hem of his garment, and the virtue flowed from Jesus to them. So if you're sitting around in a congregation waiting to think, well, I'm not sure what we should do, so let's do nothing, you're missing it. You're not following the strategy of Christ. The strategy of Christ is to give and hope that you will receive. Give in charity you know, and hope that it will strengthen the poor and it will do good. And you pray about it and you wonder about it and you question about it and hope that you do good and do right by others. So uh, I was... Uh, 
looking uh, for some reason uh, something just disappeared. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Blessed are ye uh, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. See now that for my sake. It's not, people will lie about everybody. So just the fact that somebody's lying about you, accusing you, making up stuff. You know, we see it all the time where people, you know, they say, well, they teach this, 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 which we don't. And this is wrong because of this, and this is wrong because of this. But see, now they're uh, they're attacking an artificial us that they've created. Saying that we're doing this, 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 uh, you know, like, you know. I don't know how many times people thought I was a Jesuit uh, in making that accusation. I was not, I was actually, I actually did try to go to a Jesuit school, and they rejected me. And everybody thought it was so strange. It's kind of like that blood running down my arm on the polio vaccine. Because <laughs> here I had all these high grades and scores, and, come from, and I had a brother who was already going to the school, and another brother who was studying to be a priest, not a Jesuit priest, but a priest. And... Uh, I go to enter this uh, Jesuit school, and they rejected me. They refused me, and nobody could figure out why. You know, the grades were up, the background was there, the other members of the family were there, and they and they just took it. You know, they didn't argue or complain about it. They thought it was bizarre, but it was like it was meant to be, and of course it was. <laughs> it, I was supposed to go somewhere else. <laughs> And that's the way my whole life has been. And I'm not conjuring this up. Somebody else is. And to some degree, your life is that way. But it's not always going to put you where you want to be. It's going to put you where you should be. And then, now, what less... That's what you should always be asking. What are you trying to teach me with this, you know? You give me this wife. You give me this husband. You give me these kids. There's a lesson in every one of them that you can learn. But you have to look at yourself. You can look and say, oh, well, look what they're doing. Oh, you know what what he said, what she said. Uh, I was doing this and they came along and just, you know, it's pointing the finger at everybody. That's the old Adam and Eve thing. The woman you gave me. The strategy of Christ is to start to admit that what you get, you deserve. Why do you deserve it? Take a look at that. And repent of that, and things can start changing. But if you don't want to see the problem, you can't solve the problem, or the problem won't be solved for you, because actually you can't solve it anyway. God can solve it. But you have to have the will to see yourself as you really are, how lazy you are, how selfish you are, how blind you've been, how blind you've chosen to be. So you have to be persecuted, you have to be called names for his sake. Because you are actually doing what he came to do, which is to serve others. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Today we see a lot of people, you know, I mean, like the, they hate the president of the United States, there's a lot of people who love them. Uh, most of the people who hate them, it's, everything they're doing is backfiring. Um, but 
it doesn't it still doesn't mean that we're any safer because we're not safer unless we personally repent a a leader does not if you think a leader can make a nation great think again you know and we we've talked about that when you see the word referencing a great nation there's two words that are usually translated great there's actually more but there's at least two words in the hebrew that are translated great one allows that nation to be blessed. The other one just allows that nation to be big. Well, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. So what makes a nation blessed is what makes it truly great. Well, what makes a nation blessed is this what I'm talking about here. You know, exceedingly glad because your reward in heaven will be great. Because what is... What is bound in heaven will be bound on earth. So your reward on earth will be great. It may not be what you think of as great, but you don't know how many times God is going to save you, or has already saved you. goes on in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And I remember, he's not necessarily talking to you. You may be the salt that lost its flavor. He's talking to those who are actually doing what Christ said. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its flavor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing. You want to make sure you're not one of those good for nothing. But to be cast out, to be trodden underfoot of man. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill. Christianity today, it's a light in comparison to maybe the rest of the darkness of the world, but it isn't really the light that Christ was talking about because most Christians today don't do what Christ said. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you, your Father, which is in heaven. Until you have a network that takes care of all the social welfare, all the social welfare, all the social welfare of your network, you got nothing to show. you got no reason to go down to a food kitchen. Now, I'm not saying don't. I've made good discipline and exercise. And what I've told people, go ahead, go down there. Get to know the people that are there because those people that are there, they may be charitable people. They might be. Not guaranteeing. They may be people who are looking for answers too. Go where the Holy Spirit leads you. But come together to give of yourself, whether it's time, money, whatever. Give. And forgive, because you have to forgive to give, because it won't be long and you'll be mad at somebody and you won't give to them anymore. <laughs> get mad at the whole network. Mad at me. I got lots of people. If you want to get mad at me, you got to get in line. <laughs> There's a lot of people who want to be mad at me. Uh, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. So the law, remember the law is spiritual. The Ten Commandments is spiritual. It's not ten rules. It's spiritual. 
And it's pointing to spiritual precepts. You know, this Matthew 5.17, it makes it very clear uh, out of Jesus' own mouth that he was not going to destroy the law. The words we see uh, as destroy is not the word apollon, translated destroy 26 times, and meaning to put out of the way entirely, abolish, put uh, an end to, or ruin, or render useless. Nor is it the Greek word luo, meaning um, to loosen, to undo, to dissolve. Nor is it the word uh, diaphtherio, uh, meaning to change uh, for the worse, to corrupt. It is the Greek word katalu, meaning to dissolve, to overthrow, to bring to naught, to subvert institutions, forms, or governments, or laws. So when he's saying in here, destroy the law, uh, he, he's not come to change the government of God. He's not come to change the institutions of God. He didn't change, you know, this has been a debate on the network of people, you know, it's really not a debate, but there's some people who want to think that where is the church, the new Levites? Well, there he just said, he's not doing away with the government of God. He's coming to fulfill it the way it was supposed to be. And that's what he's he's come to do. That's why when he takes the kingdom away from those who had it, the Pharisees and the Levites and everybody who had it. And he gave it to this other group, which was his apostles, who were doing everything that the Levites did. And we see some Levites, like Moses, leaving his position in that world and moving to a position with the church. Why? Because they're taking over the same God, the same institution. We'll be right back. We'll see if we can't wind this up. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to uh, continue this to see if we can't finish up some of the strategies. So it's very important that you come in the character and the name of Christ and start doing things the way Christ said to do them. And uh, and people are not doing that today. They're uh, doing all sorts of other things that Christ said not to do, and one of them as we were just talking, was this idea of uh, of Corbin uh, that, uh, you know, he refers to, Jesus refers to it, and we see the word translated, uh, the tradition, uh, the Pharisees by their tradition of Corbin. Well, that same word we see translated tradition is also translated ordinance, you see, because they had set this, uh, it was paradosis, uh, where they, and, and it was actually paradosis has to do with giving up or giving over or giving themselves over to a power that is now forcing a contribution. It's going to be 14% of everything you make is it produce is going to go into their Corbin treasury 
to take care of those needy, such as the, you know the parents of the blind man and the blind man and all these people. They were getting this benefit. I, I, the number of people I know, elderly people who are taking care of their grandchildren is just phenomenal today. But they're all taking care of their grandchildren, receiving a government check, $600, dollars $800 a month for each child of their own children that they're taking care of. Well, that's a huge amount of money coming in. They can buy a new pickup. They can get all kinds of stuff. I actually know a number of people who do it. They actually, they their own daughter is not taking care of her children. They're doing it. They're getting a check for taking care of their grandchildren from the government. And their the mother is on welfare, but the mother is renting the house from the parents. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe 10 miles away or not even that much away. While the parents are taking care of her children, she's sitting in a house rented by the government from her parents, uh, living on food stamps and not taking care of her children. She used to drive by and throw, you know, she used to be a big one for eating sweets. All of her kids ate sweets and, you know, couldn't eat, drink, just milk. That'd be chocolate milk. When she was done with it, she would throw it out the window. Throw her garbage out the window. And not even think anything of it. They just don't even think anything about it. Uh, they wouldn't even take the garbage home and throw it away in the garbage. They would just throw it out the window and trash along the highway. You would see them there. Because you do it every day. Total irresponsible. All people of faith, all Christians, but they're not. They're making the Word of God to none effect in their lives. And their lives show, uh, you know, tremendous devastation uh, throughout their entire life and through the life of their children and grandchildren. And now great-grandchildren. It's just uh, horrible to see what's going on. But it's all coming about because of the fact that they make these choices to be a part of a system that is contrary to the Ten Commandments, that is the ordinances of the Corbin of the world that makes the Word of God to none effect in their life. So if you want to make the Word of God to effect in your life, you have to do the opposite. And it's, it's more than just throwing your chocolate milk uh, carton out the window. <laughs> you know, uh, you go to the store, pick up your mail, buy a half quart of uh, chocolate milk and candy, and eat that on the way to your folks' house who are taking care of your children. And then you go back and pay the rent on your house with government money, and the children are taken care of with government money, and the children are sent to government schools, and they wonder why their life's a mess. Oh, they can go to church until the cows come home, but that is not the ways of the kingdom. Because those checks all come from men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other, and Jesus said he was not to be that way with you. Yet, if you ask these people, they would tell you that they're Christians. Because they're ministers who are not ministers of the gospel of Christ. They're not telling you what Christians were doing. At Pentecost, they became the entire social network of 
all Christians. The entire social network, social welfare network of all Christians. So how in the world can you call yourself a Christian? Because you're not doing that. When you got baptized, that's not what happened. You were still sending your kids to public school. You were still going there. You were still, the government was taking care of your parents. You were doing no more opera for your parents or very little. You know, you might visit them now and then in a convalescent home. So why are not you building a network of people that can take care of all the social welfare that is really necessary universally throughout your network you call the church? Because one thing we know, the Levites were a network. They weren't a helter-skelter band of people. They were called out to go back in and make disciples of men. That's actually what they were doing. They were going back into the Walden camp and making disciples of men. And all those who refused to become a part of their network were dead to them. That simple. And if the and if somebody tried to actually kill them, well, then they 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 would have to defend themselves. They had the right to defend themselves. They had the responsibility to defend themselves. And they were blessed and protected. I'm not sure you guys are going to be protected. What I see happening in the world today, you know, and I actually know people who work for FEMA or, you know, and they see that the country is being set up. You know, if you didn't have these millions of immigrants moving into Europe that are now all over, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of immigrants in Sweden, and things got really bad, power shut down, you know, uh, food supply cut off and everything. The Swedes as a people, they live in a harsh world. They would probably come through this way better than a lot of people, even though that they're in that harsh place. Nobody is going to escape from southern France to Sweden, you know, and go up there and face those winters. <laughs> it's not going to... So they're not going to have those huge torches. But they already have the invasion. They have rioting there on a regular basis. They have massive rape there. And they're finding more and more of these enclaves that are no-go zones filled with guns and weapons. You know, I mean, you can't even carry a knife in Sweden. It is so anti-arming yourself. So what what's really happening there is uh, that they're being invaded by an army of people. And I mean, some of these people are just legitimate refugees, but there's an army of people who are not legitimate refugees or not trying to become a part of the Swedish society, but are going to actually, when things get bad, there's going to be a war in Sweden. There's going to be a war in France. There's going to be a war in Germany. And they're going to be fighting two fronts. The difficulties of society is it melts down and breaks down economically, um, you know, mechanically, technically breaks down. And they're going to be fighting this insurgent radical group that is going to be willing to destroy anything and everything in order to survive. And 
it, it, it won't last a year, <laughs> but it's going to have to last at least three and a half years, and and uh, it's not going to make it. Millions upon millions of people will die. And one of the reasons why is they don't have the blessings of God. And you cannot conjure up the blessings of God. I cannot teach you some technique that's going to bring the blessings of God. You have to repent and seek to be the kingdom of God at hand on earth for the living, taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, and not depending on men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. And that's a process of the heart and of the soul and of the mind. And you have to let God write upon your heart and soul and mind, and you're going to have to start giving to support, whether it's time or money, and chances are it's hard to put time in the mail, you have to support through your local networks. You don't send it to me necessarily. I mean, you do what God wants you to do, but I'm not soliciting your funds. I'm telling you, gather together in a network of charity, in faith, with nothing but hope motivating you. There's no guarantee that the blessings of God will come to you as you create the Corbin of Christ which is what John the Baptist was talking about. Do the same in meats. You have to be part... If you want the Word of God to be effective in your life, you have to be a part of the Corbin of God, which is the righteous way to fulfill your duty in pure religion to God and your fellow man. Verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. Again, this this law that he's talking about, he's talking about this whole system of the kingdom of God. To all be fulfilled. Nothing's going to go away. It's, and he, So he's telling you that. And yet you want to think that he's done away with the old. He's done away with what they interpreted the old to be. He's done away with what the Pharisees were doing, which was old. But the Pharisees weren't doing what Moses said. So he wasn't doing away with what Moses said. He was doing away with what it had become because people were not listening, were not seeing, were not having the Word of God in their hearts. They might read the Torah, but that doesn't mean they get it. Pharisees read it. The Essenes read it. They had completely different interpretations of the same book. You go read the New Testament, you go to your church, and you sing your songs, but then you go to your benefactors who exercise authority. And you've got nobody else to go to because your church is not doing what the early church did. You've got a lot of turning around to do, a lot of repenting to do, a lot of sacrifice to do, because you've been selfish. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least of my commandments... And shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So this is how you make a nation great. You actually start keeping the Ten Commandments. 
start blessing one another, start caring about one another, start taking care of your own family, provide for your parents, start, you know, this means you have to make sacrifices. You need to do that in order to be a Christian. If you're not, you're not, you're not, you're breaking the commandments if you're not honoring your father and your mother. You're breaking the commandments if you are going into debt all the time and seeking benefits from a nation of debt. You don't want to be seeking it, so therefore you need to make provisions so that you don't have to seek that. And you can't do that unless you come together because everybody gets old. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what were the scribes and Pharisees? They were taking care of the widows and orphans. They just weren't doing it by free will offerings like John the Baptist said. They were a network, but it was a top-down authoritarian network, not a network like the early church, which is a bottom-up system of service, one to another, rightly dividing the bread from house to house, the welfare from house to house. So where do you stand on all this? Are you actually coming together in the name of Christ to serve others? Verse 21 and we're in Matthew 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old times, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But, but whosoever shall say, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Well, we can go into that a little bit later, what that means, why fool is even greater than Raka. But the reality is, is that if you hate whole nations of people, you know, like I talked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, a preacher who, you know, after 911, he said we should just nuke him. <laughs> well, nuke him is to hate people in that country without cause. You know, because it's good, that bomb's going to kill people that didn't have anything to do with this. It is no solution. It is certainly no Christ-like solution, but he couldn't see it. You you cannot group people. Like that, you have to deal with it on a one by one basis. But you, the most important thing is that you have to return to the ways of Christ. Christ came to organize the people. Moses organized the people. He didn't say, "Okay, you're free, run for it. You're free, run for it. You're free, run for it." And neither was baptism. Christ has died for your sin. Run for it. Christ has died for your sin. No, they came together and became at Pentecost the social welfare of an entire nation of people within nations. And they were persecuted because they would not sign up for, you've already signed up for the Corbin of Rome, but they wouldn't do this and they didn't have to. But before you can unsign up from the system that you're already in, you need to create this system that Christ came to teach you, the 
John the Baptist was teaching you, that Moses was teaching you how to take care of yourselves through faith, hope, and charity, through free will offerings. That is the kingdom of God. That is the righteousness of God. And that's a process, and you're not in that process. That's why we say join the network. You join the network, you're not a part of the living network until you congregate in the living network through a congregation, a core member of, you know, a congregation of recorded elders. These guys get together and say, we're going to seek the kingdom of God. We're going to contribute to the kingdom of God with our time, our energy, whatever. But it's really hard to find such people. And as soon as you say, oh, well, he's not doing it, I'm doing it, but he's not doing it, and he's in my congregation, so I'm not going to be in this congregation because I don't want to give to him because, well, who said he's getting anything? So you abandon everything because everybody doesn't line up with, so where's your forgiveness? I mean, can you abandon all your children who disobey you? Because every one of them is going to disobey you at least once. You can't. Those are your children. You're stuck with it. That's a matter of record. We know they're your kids because they came out of your wife's womb, etc., and they all look like you. <laughs> and so they're your kids. You have to carry this through. You join a congregation, carry it through. Now you move somewhere else or there's another congregation that you want to be a part of. Sure. But this idea of just abandoning. If you are if you are subject to the spirit of abandonment, you shall be abandoned. If you abandon others, that is the judgment that shall be upon you. You are going to make the word of God in none effect by your abandonment. Because what you bind on earth is bound in heaven, folks. You get that? If you choose to abandon, if you choose to be selfish, if you choose to not be forgiving, guess what? You don't get forgiven. God will be selfish with you, and you will be abandoned. That is, you are your own worst enemy. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way first, and reconcile to thy brother. See, this is very important. That takes humility. So there goes pride. That is facing the truth. And so it brings in more truth. It is changing the flow in society when you start doing that. And then come and offer thy gift. So he's telling you, still make offer thy sacrifice. Sacrifice thy gift. Agreeing with thy adversary quickly. Don't make people your adversary. You have one adversary, and that is the lie. You have one ally, and that is the truth. Whilst thou art in the way with him, lest any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Don't fight the system. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let God fight the system. You get grounded, rooted in the ways of Christ, seeking that kingdom, that network, 
that of union and discipline that cares about one another as much as it cares about itself. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So don't battle the system. Seek the righteousness of God. This is where the instructions start. They don't start with come out. They start with seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you don't have a network supplying the daily bread for all the needy of that society, and that's huge. That's huge. Now, you're not doing it yet. Almost nobody does it. Even the Amish fall short. And most people don't even, that's why the Amish are exempt from health care and all that stuff, because at least they're doing something. You need to start doing that, too. People are waiting, oh, but where where am I going to get free? When am I going to be not subject? When, am I, when are you going to start doing righteousness? When are you going to start being the Corbin of Christ? You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. See, another thing. He's, he's going back to the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you, he's just going to show you the true interpretation. But whoever shall look on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Same thing with that Costco pie. <laughs> You've already eaten it. <laughs> Whether you know, I don't want to just pick up. I'm just using that as an analogy that adultery is not just indulging in a promiscuous activity with other members of the opposite sex or the same sex even. Uh, it has to do with adulterating the flesh of your body, of your family. And there's lots of ways you can do that. And, and like what he says, that thy right eye offend thee. Pluck it out and cast it from you. Now he's not actually talking about mutilation and amputation. For his prop, but he's trying to give you an analogy here, one of those allegoric metaphors. Prob- profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast out into hell. Now, you're not going to be saved by your congregation. So, even though there is a time when there are members of your congregation you may have to cast out, this is a case by case basis. If you're really filled with the Holy Spirit, they will leave. They will go quickly. The Holy Spirit will drive them out. You don't have to, again, you don't have to fight them. You you ask yourself, why are they still here? <laughs> Am I not filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you're not. You may have been touched by the Holy Spirit, but who is filled with it? We need to turn around. We need to go the other way. We need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Gather together. Be on the network. Till then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church, 
at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.